0: Apamada and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at Apamata.org. Thank you. So, um, welcome. Um, today's talk is going to be um, a few things, a poem, a story, and um, a bit of reading from Pema Chodron's The Wisdom of No Escape, and um, this is apparently a um, newer uh, printing of the book, but apparently it was her first book, and it's based on um, talks that she gave in 1989, and so part of me wanted to just have each of us consider I think everyone here was born by i 1989. I'm not positive though. Seems like yesterday, but um but just to take a moment inside to kind of connect with where were you in 1989? Who you who were you with? Who were you? What were you practicing? <laughs> no sharing is going to be required. Okay so i wanted to begin with a story um a friend of mine here in austin she has kind of an unusual name um abe louise um her given name is i think abriel her mom was very creative and um she goes by the name abe um so anyway abe is a writer and um friend here in Austin. um, And um, last week, a man came to her door, an older man, um, turned out to be in his 70s, wanting to know if he could um, do some yard work for her. And um, she lives, I was trying to think about which house she's living in, I know she moved. So I'm not really sure what part of town she lives in, which isn't important, but I wanted to be clear in my mind. Um, And so she's a very generous person and um, actually did a lot of work. She grew up in New Orleans. And so she did a lot of work with um, folks who had um, been evacuated from New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, which is how I got to know her. So that's how long we've known each other. Anyway, um, she if you're not in Austin and you don't know, Um, It's been over 100 degrees here for many days, which is not typical of prior to climate change, um, but is now um, uh, summer. And so she didn't have any yard work, um, but she, um, you know, invited him, offered him something to drink or something, and then he um, shared that he was living in his car. He was living on Social Security, and he was living in his car, and it was, it was hot. Mm -hmm. and it's not cooling off in the evening here which makes it much worse and um she in her very amazing way um said well let me see what i can do so she um got online and um long story short she found out sort of what kind of things were available locally for resources for him and sort of how to navigate that system she asked for um, contributions so that he could stay in a air conditioned hotel, which wouldn't, um, if someone took him in, it would change his homelessness status. And so moving through a system to be able to get him into permanent um, housing would be jeopardized. So in any case, um, got him into an air conditioned hotel, um, by raising money from friends. And then, um, because she's a writer and, um, fabulous human being she is um, social media friends if not actual friends with rebecca solnit the writer and so rebecca solnit shared her story of a guy um, i'm going to call him jose i don't remember his um, exact name and um before you know it uh even more money was raised and so um this gentleman um jose is staying at a hotel he's in air conditioning he has enough money for gas. Um, he was buying gas like at $2 worth of gas, which I can't even imagine buys more than a couple drops, um, in order to um, continue to live in his car. So, um, so that's one story of, um, Abe is in some ways a unique and amazing person, but in a lot of other ways, she's completely ordinary. Um, And so she basically had a Venmo account and a bunch of social media friends and the opportunity to meet this gentleman, um, who now um, will probably in the next week or two be able to navigate the system in the ways that it's set up and actually be able to move into a permanent apartment, which is his goal. So, I share that because what I've really been thinking about this week, as I imagine many of you have been, is is the climate. You know, looking at those of you that are, um, those of us in Austin know exactly what's happening. Um, And looking at those of you online and knowing where some of you are, I know you're either experiencing um, tremendous heat or um, flooding nearby. And if you're not experiencing one of those right now, um, probably within the last year, there's been some kind of extreme um, weather that you've experienced. None of us are um, safe from that, right? Because it's the whole climate. Um, And so I wanted to share a poem, and I'm hoping that this reading and what I've been kind of obsessing about, um, and that story, all kind of um, tie together. The other thing I wanted to mention is apparently right now, depending on what time it is in China, does anyone know? Some people work with people in China, and so they know what time it is. Anyway, let's say today, because at least roughly it's today, though it might be. um, John Kerry is meeting with his peer in China um, to begin three days of talks with the goal of finding ways to work together on climate change. And that's been the reason that there's been um, activity lately um, with China to uh, restore relations with them. So that's exciting. So we can send some meta to John Kerry and his um, partner in China to be having these talks in the next few days. But here's the poem. The name of the poem is Shoulders, and it's by Naomi Shihab Nye, who uh, just lives down the road in San Antonio, Texas. Shoulders. A man crosses the street in rain, stepping gently, looking two times north and south, because his son is asleep on his shoulder. No car must splash him. No car drive too near to his shadow. This man carries the world's most sensitive cargo, but he's not marked. Nowhere does his jacket say fragile handle with care. His ear fills up with breathing. He hears the hum of a boy's dream deep inside him. We're not going to be able to live in this world. If we're not willing to do what he's doing with one another. The road will only be wide. The rain will never stop falling. And so what does all this have to do with sitting on our butts on chairs or on cushions Welcome, Clayton. Hi. You missed the poem, but we're going to read it again. <laughs> so, here's um, the beginning of this book by Pema Chodron The Wisdom of No Escape. There's a common misunderstanding among all the human beings who have ever been born on the earth <laughs> that the best way to live is to try to avoid pain and just try to get comfortable. Agree? Yes. <laughs> she says a much more interesting, kind, adventurous, and joyful approach to life is to begin to develop our curiosity, not caring whether the object of our inquisitiveness is bitter or sweet. To lead a life that goes beyond pettiness and prejudice and always wanting to make sure that everything turns out on our own terms, to lead a more passionate, full, and delightful life than that, we must realize that we can endure a lot of pain and pleasure for the sake of finding out who we are and what this world is. How we tick and how our world ticks how the whole thing just is if we're committed to comfort at any cost as soon as we come up against the least edge of pain we're going to run we'll never know what's beyond that particular barrier or wall or fearful thing when people start to meditate or to work with any kind of spiritual practice they often think that somehow they're going to improve, which is a sort of subtle aggression against who they really are. It's a bit like saying, if I jog, I'll be a much better person. If I could only get a nicer house, I'd be a better person. And this one, I wonder if there's anyone who hasn't thought this one, If I could meditate and calm down, I'd be a better person. (laughs) Or the scenario may be that we find fault with others. We might say, if it weren't for my husband or wife or partner, I'd have a perfect marriage. If it weren't for my boss, my job would be great. And if it weren't for my mind, my meditation would be excellent. But loving kindness towards ourselves doesn't mean getting rid of anything. It means that we can still be crazy after all these years. I love that she quotes a Paul Simon song. <laughs> It is truly 1989 when she's giving this talk. We can still be angry after all these years. We can still be timid or jealous, or full of feelings of unworthiness. The point is not to try to change ourselves. Meditation practice isn't about trying to throw ourselves away and become something better. It's about befriending who we all are already. In a way, just like how my friend A befriended this man who showed up at her door. Sorry, Clayton, like, missed that story. The ground of practice is you or me or whoever we are right now, just as we are. That's the ground. That's what we study. That's what we come to know with curiosity and interest. And then she says, People often say to me, I wanted to come and have an interview with you. I wanted to write you a letter. I wanted to call you on the phone, but I wanted to wait until I was more together. (laughs) And that reminds me that when I first encountered Buddhism, I was in college in um, Delaware, which is kind of an odd place when you're from Oklahoma and Texas, but, Anyway, that's another story. But um, I was taking a class on um, American Transcendentalism. So we were reading um, Thoreau and Emerson and Gary Snyder and the Zen of Motorcycle Maintenance. And all of this was just making such tremendous sense to me. And um, our professor, um, I'm not sure you can do this anymore, but back then, um, it was a small class intentionally. It was like an honors class. and. Um, he didn't like the classroom that we met in. And so we met at his home. It was walking distance from the university. And his home, to my 19-year-old mind, was the, the epitome of Zen in the sense that it was all like Danish 1950s-era furniture. It was very um, dimly lit. Um, And just incredibly quiet. We were the only people there. I think his wife was off at work. And they didn't have children. And it was just this orderly, tidy, very um, uh, like everything matched, but in a um, very subdued kind of way. And I thought, wow, when my life is like this house, (laughs) which if you've been to my house, no. That's not even my aesthetic. And um, no, we can't wait until. As she said, um, we have, um, she says, um, well, if you're anything like me, you could wait forever. (laughs) (laughs) So come as you are. She invites us the magic is being willing to open to that, being willing to be fully awake to that. One of the main discoveries of meditation is seeing how we continually run away from the present moment. I'm thinking yesterday when I went and did an errand, how I was running away in my mind and in my gripiness uh, from the present moment, which was just sweatiness. How I really wanted to run away from that, just really, you know, just continuing discomfort. How we avoid being here just as we are. Inquisitiveness or curiosity involves being gentle, precise, and open. Gentleness is a sense of good-heartedness toward ourselves, which I think she would argue is the basis for us being good-hearted to that person who comes to our door in need. Precision is being able to see very clearly, not being afraid to see what's really there. And openness is being able to let go and open. She goes on in a second talk, which I'm sort of combining two talks, but also cutting parts out. She says, it's very helpful to realize that being here, sitting in meditation, doing everyday things, is actually all that we need to be fully awake, fully alive and fully human. It's also helpful to realize that this very body that perhaps aches and this mind that we have at this very moment are exactly what we need to be fully human, fully awake and fully alive. It's not, it's not someplace else. Furthermore, she says, the emotions that we have right now, the negativity and the positivity, are what we actually need. It's just as if we had looked around to find out what would be the greatest wealth that we could possibly possess in order to lead a decent, good, completely fulfilling, energetic, inspired life. And we found it all right here. Being satisfied with what we already have is a magical golden key to being alive in a full unrestricted and inspired way. One of the major obstacles to what is traditionally called enlightenment is resentment, feeling cheated, holding a grudge about who you are, where you are, what you are. This is why we talk so much about making friends with ourselves because for some reason or other, we don't feel that kind of satisfaction in a full and complete way. Meditation is a process of lightening up, of trusting the basic goodness of what we have and who we are, and of realizing that any wisdom that exists, exists in what we already have. Our wisdom is all mixed up with what we call our neurosis. Our brilliance, our juiciness, our spiciness is all mixed up with our craziness and our confusion. And therefore, it doesn't do any good to try to get rid of our so-called negative aspects. Because in that process, we also get rid of our basic wonderfulness. And I think we've all spent some time with people on the cushion that. Are just so composed that um, they're hard to even connect with maybe that's what she's describing she goes on to say well we are sitting in meditation we are simply exploring humanity and all of creation in the form of ourselves and I think this is where for me it connects with how I've been thinking about climate crisis and how apparently in the past week or so, scientists and de- geologists have sort of agreed that the Anthropocene, I'm really not, Anthropocene is not rolling off my, my um, lips. The Anthropocene age, we are definitely in, the human-centered um, age geologically of our planet. And that they date its start to 1952, which is when plutonium began being um, evident in rocks from um, nuclear um, experiments um, related, of course, to World War II. And so, 1952—that's um, prior to when I was born. But um, I'm guessing there's somewhat there are people here who who were alive in 1952. And certainly our parents and grandparents were. It wasn't that long ago. And so this idea that we're sitting here meeting ourselves, but in doing that, we're meeting everyone. We're meeting the guy at the door. We're meeting people across the world who are being affected by climate change in ways that um, are really unimaginably painful and scary and um, completely destabilizing in every way. We can become the world's greatest experts on anger, jealousy, and self-deprecation, as well as on joyfulness, clarity, and insight. Everything that humans feel, we feel. We can become extremely wise and sensitive to all of humanity and the whole universe, simply by knowing ourselves just as we are. The ground of loving kindness is this sense of satisfaction with who we are and what we have. The path is a sense of wonder, becoming a two or three-year-old child again, like that child that the man's carrying in the poem across the, the street. We know we're never really going to find the answers because these kinds of questions come from having a hunger and a passion for life. They have nothing to do with resolving anything or tying it all up into a neat package. This kind of questioning is the journey itself. The fruition lies in beginning to realize our kinship with all humanity. We realize that we have a share in whatever everyone else has and is. Our journey of making friends with ourselves is not a selfish thing. We're not trying to get all the goodies for ourselves. It's a process of developing loving kindness and a true understanding for other people as well. And so I'll share that poem again by Naomi Shihabnai. It's called Shoulders. A man crosses the street in rain, stepping gently looking two times north and south because his son is asleep on his shoulder no car must splash him no car drive too near to his shadow this man carries the world's most sensitive cargo but he's not marked nowhere does his jacket say fragile, handle with care his ear fills up with breathing. He hears the hum of a boy's dream deep inside him. We're not going to be able to live in this world if we're not willing to do what he's doing with one another. The road will only be wide. The rain will never stop falling. That's the end of my talking. Um, I want to allow a little time, we're a fairly small group, but we got bigger right there at the end, um, to invite any comments or questions. I don't um, have any additional wisdom to offer, but I'm curious um, if these things resonated with you and how you're practicing with them. And do I need to do anything? Okay, great. Nellie, I think you're in charge of of that world, and and you can just raise your electronic hand, yeah, or your actual (laughs) hands. Yeah, Kim.
1: Last last (coughs) night I had a Zoom call with two friends from the 60s, so we've been friends for 60 years and kept in touch. And one of them said to me, um, you seem a lot calmer than you used to be. And, and then she said, oh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Ed, what you said was so, you know, useful, because I was thinking, oh my God, have I wasted all this time? And um,
0: so anyway, thank you. for. And I I hope you know that both things are true. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Sorry I was late. Um, loved it so much. Beautiful, beautiful to hear you read poems. It's the best. Um, so the, you know how I, I don't know who originally said this, but I can always hear Flint say it that you're perfect just as you are, but you can use a little improvement. I think it was Suzuki Yoshi. Oh, okay, thank you. Um so this talk was very, very soothing for me right now as I grapple with a 17 year old girl who's trying to figure out her way. And it was so helpful because I want to be curious about her and let her know she's perfect in all of her messiness. And so this, listening to this helps me do this with her um like the boy like the dad carrying the boy i want to i want to realize she's i want to treat her as the fragile not fragile but this beautiful cargo and um, she's not fragile actually but um so my question is the but you could use a little improvement part like this makes me very relaxed but i'm also aware of some part of me that's like but there's i came very close To getting really mad at her because I thought maybe there was a joint in her purse. I got really like I I got I've got to figure out ways to not accept her just the way she is and help her be her full self. And so do you have any ways to that I can glean from this talk help on how to also Be very curious about who someone is, but also help them um, be be their best selves because we can use a little improvement as we also are messy and bringing the full chaos of our lives to this practice.
0: No, I don't know the answer to that question, but (laughs) what I do know is that having been the parent of a teenager who at one point, at that age, sixteen, you said seventeen. Yeah, it was actually his seventeenth birthday. <sighs> um, learning that we had um, taken him out for his birthday and celebrated him and like lavished him with praise of how proud we were after like some years of struggle, etc., and he literally the night before and that night and how no, who knows how many other nights had snuck out gone downtown, had someone buy alcohol. I mean, just, I mean, all kinds of, he could have died like 15 ways on 15 separate occasions. And when I discovered it, I was so angry. I mean, I have never been so angry in my whole life. And I knew that I could not be with him. And so our practice helps us know what's going on with us. Like I knew that whatever I was gonna, he was still asleep. And so I knew there's no point in waking him up because I need to take care of this one first. And so I wisely had a spiritual friend who I I took his friend who had stayed over, he was awake and I was actually really concerned about him, but he was fine, Um, drove him home. And while I was out in the car, um, parked on some street somewhere, called my spiritual friend, and was able to kind of work through that my anger was, was fear and protection and wanting to be able to put him on my shoulder like that little child that he was no longer mm-hmm. and that it wouldn't be appropriate to um, try to protect. And so um, by the time I got home, my body was calm and I, that fire that was inside me had, had leveled out. And because of this practice in the cushion, we can know what that, you know, we know when we're like, oh man, I'm about to just catch on fire. Smoke is coming out of my ears while I'm on the cushion because of some annoying thing someone's doing or something I'm replaying in my head. Um, but then we also can know when we're like, oh, it's gotten kind of steady and quiet in there. Oh, wait, now it's not, <laughs> you know? Um, and so we have that, we develop that. And so when I was in that state, of being in touch with my fear that he could have died, and not my anger that he stole our bodies and blah, 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 and lied out every orifice of his body, Um, that we went out on the porch and had a conversation. And it was out of curiosity. And it was about meeting. And it was about me expressing how afraid I was to lose him. Mm Because of the choices that he was making and we both started crying mm. and there was a part of me that was like yay I got him <laughs> 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 um, but I think that's for me the connection is if we're not able to just contain this one this crazy fire inside of us then we're not going to be able to meet that other one and be curious and listen and hear their point of view. Also knowing that ultimately she is a minor and you're the parent and she's living in your house and you set the rules. So it's not like it's an equal
1: you know, power relationship. Does that help any? Oh, yes, yes. I, I mean, I love, I always love your life stories because I, I love hearing them and I, no but the holding that balance of acceptance and improvement together for ourselves and it's it's extra complicated when you need to do it with someone else like a a young person and so what you said was very helpful and like get out of the house if it's burning and just go find the calm first yeah so thank you
0: and the fact is, I think we all agree that the hardest practice is with our family, with the people that we're closest with. So if we don't have teenagers, um, which may be the hardest practice, we have siblings, we have parents, we have, you know, um, best friends. I mean, they all are just so incredibly annoying sometimes and make ridiculous choices and and we, we love them and we need them. and. We need to be able to meet them, hopefully, like my friend Abe did, this stranger um, who showed up at our door. Thank you, Robin. Yeah, thank you. I think we'll bow out now. Thank you for being here, everyone. I appreciate you.